0: Purple Insider is presented by Liquid Death, delicious water that's bringing death to plastic. Learn more at liquiddeath.com insider. to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and returning to the show, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And Courtney, we have to begin, unfortunately, with where the NFL world is at and what all of our minds are on from what happened on Monday Night Football with DeMar Hamlin as we all sit and wait for updates and listen to other players' experiences and thoughts and feelings on this thing. Um, because it just really took us all completely off guard. And it was such a, a shocking experience to see what happened with Damar Hamlin. And so we're all sitting here just hoping for the best with him. But it's one of those things where when we planned a podcast, of course, we're plotting out pie charts and thinking about roasting the Bears and making fun of how bad they've been and all those things. And we we will get to that. We'll talk – Vikings, Bears, but it's it's just impossible not to have Damar Hamlin on our minds as we start the show here.
1: No, it's tough, and you know I keep looking at my phone, hoping that you see that tweet that everybody's retweeting from whether it's his family or the Buffalo Bills or whether ESPN breaks some news that hey, he's off the ventilator, he's okay. Like you're just waiting for good news, and the fact that it hasn't come yet, we're almost at the twenty four hour period is really tough. That was such a harrowing moment to witness. Like we've covered a lot of football games in our day. We've seen a lot of injuries, whether it's players with catastrophic bone, you know, ligament injuries, or guys who have been carted off fields. Um, I, I covered one a couple weeks ago when Bears right guard Tevin Jenkins had a neck injury and had to be, it was about, you know, an eight to 10 minute thing where they had to get this very large human being onto a stretcher and a backboard and then put on a stretcher and then card it off the field. And you just, you can never play with these sort of things. Like you never know how serious it is until you don't get that thumbs up, until you don't get the, hey, the, just the little signals, a little wiggling of fingers, like just something to know that the players are okay. And I think we are so well-versed at this point on head trauma, repeated head trauma and what it causes and just seeing those things in games we're not used to seeing, I've never seen sudden cardiac arrest ever in my life. I've never seen what a heart attack looks like. And certainly to see that happen in, in a sporting event, one that we watch as fans and ones that we cover, it's so jarring that it just, it's still, it's so traumatic that you're just trying to sort through it. And obviously those players first and foremost, like, I can't get the image of AJ Klein of Stefan Diggs of Tradavius Tredav- White and just what their faces looked like. And we, sh- and they were shown on the broadcast um, as they're trying to process this in real time. And it's, it's become more than a sports story at this point. It's on every channel. It's on every being talked about by, you know, sports networks, by news networks and, we don't have a resolution right now. I think that the hard thing is we're trying to process this in real time and and walk through uncharted territory. And you've got people saying, "Well, this is the right way to handle this. This is the wrong way to handle this." And we're all just trying to feel our way through it. And it it's tough because you don't like we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel right now. We don't know what we're looking for. All we want is that DeMar Hamlin's going to come out of whatever. I mean, for, as far as we know right now, he's still sedated at the hospital which I would assume means that he's in a state of a coma of sorts. Like you just hope that he wakes up. You hope that he can live a normal life. Like football is so secondary right now. Yet it becomes one of these things that it is still, you're still talking about the game because of what happened and the type of injury that this was. And it was just like such a normal looking tackle. Um, and you're just trying to figure out like, how did this happen? Like, You and I have covered the sport a long time. I think everybody's kind of collectively held their breath, hoping you'd never see something like this. It felt inevitable at some point that there would be something this serious. And it just is absolutely brutal and devastating that it played out the way that it did.
0: And if you're a former player like Jeremiah Searles wanted to move back. And of course I 100% respect this, but move back Tuesday morning left guard and talk another day because I think that if you've played the game, this hits you completely differently than almost everyone else. I mean, of course, all of us who cover the game or anyone who enjoys the game is in complete shock, and in the same way, where they're hoping for the best. And you just wanted um, to, like you said, to see that thumbs up. And I, you know, I do think that as a universe, we on the outside um, do a, a good job of telling the stories of these players. And fans get to know them through social media and everything else better. So immediately we started to get the story of this guy and the type of person that he is and all those things. And you understand the guy underneath the helmet better than maybe we ever have before. Um, And and I think that all the former players we have access to who are telling their stories, Ryan Clark on ESPN, um, and just the feelings of players when you see someone else go through that because... I mean, every time you see an injury, what you understand is that long-term, that might be a problem for that guy, Mm -hmm. but ultimately he's going to walk again. If he hurts his knee and this was, you know, the Teddy Bridgewater thing was very scary a few years ago. And it kind of reminded me of that because players were not sure, is this guy going to keep his leg and so forth? Like 99.9% of the time, every one of these players has seen someone get carted off, seen someone get hurt. And it's very upsetting. But you can understand why they get back to playing because like look, they've all been through it and they know that guy's gonna he's gonna be okay, he's gonna heal and he's gonna be back eventually, or even if his career's over, like he made money playing in the league. He knew the risks and everything. Like you can go through that and justify it in your mind. This because, the he, because the players in
1: alive. Like, right. and that's the thing. Like we just, you know, at this moment right now, there's such little information and at the time that DeMar Hamlin was taken out of the field, off the field in an ambulance, you don't know whether he's dead or alive at that point. And, you know, everybody can speculate what they want to about, like, you know, the situation. And I think it's, you know, I think ESPN, not just because I work for them, but I think they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they handled last night, the, the scariness of that moment and not knowing where it was going, and the way that Scott Van Pelt and you mentioned Ryan Clark handled that providing perspective Um, and not, not just cookie cutter stuff. Like I think Ryan Clark was incredibly impassioned and empathetic and vulnerable about a player's position here. So it's not like they were just like, you know, reading straight from like a fact sheet of like, this is what happened then this is what happened now. Like they were, they were giving you context. There was nuance to that conversation. And I think they did a really good job of that. But you know, the, the problem is, with something like this, We've never seen at least I can't ever recall seeing CPR administered on the field. and we didn't see it. I think the most the most telling part of this was that human wall that those players formed. There, that we didn't need to see that that did not need to be broadcast on television. And I know there were a lot of people saying, don't post the video. A lot of news networks did not show the video of him collapsing. And all I'll say from that is it was a very routine tackle. Like he kind of went over the top of um, T Higgins at the end, like kind of brought him down, stood up and then fell back. And that's, it, it's just, it's, it's just tough to stomach because all of the injuries we've seen before, you know, careers may end, guys may not have their shot because an injury derailed their greatness and how and, and how high their ceiling could be. But they've they're alive. Like, you know, I've I've never witnessed an injury of a player that didn't make it. And we don't know yet about this. And it's the unknown part that's so scary because I think there's fear right now. Because fear is fear is not knowing what's ahead and how long of a road this young man might have. he makes it and what happens if he doesn't like that's the thing and it's not speculation there those are two very real scenarios and this is the first time at least that you know that i can remember in a game where we've dealt with a life and death situation um you brought up teddy that was before i got to the vikings beat but i remember like I've heard that 911 call uh, to Winter Park and hearing the urgency in that because they were talking about a possible, wasn't it possible like loss of leg? Because he could have, you know, it was the blood flow in the artery. That's a life and death situation. Losing your leg would have been a really, really horrible outcome. But, you know, the, the feel good part of that story is that Teddy came back and there was a path back for him. Like this is such a, we can't see we can't see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, as I said again with this yet, because we just don't know. And that's the scary part. Like, I just wish time would hurry up and that it was a day or two removed. And we know, hey, DeMar Hamlin's OK. He's sitting with his he's with his family right now. like He's got a long road to recovery, but he's going to make it because that's typically when you have the concussions, when you have the severe catastrophic bone injuries, ACLs, whatever it's. The guy's going to be okay. He's got a long road ahead of him, but he's going to be okay. He's going to recover. And just seeing the way that things panned out last night, you never had that sense of security that things were going to be okay.
0: Right. And still, as we record this midway through Tuesday, we don't know, which kind of puts everything in a freeze in the NFL where how do you ask players to practice? How do you ask them to do media? How do you ask them to play on Sunday? And I don't know if it's on the table to move everything back by a week, but if we don't get any updates and then you just say, everybody strap on the cleats and go out there and play with that on every single player's mind, that is a really tough thing to do. Hey, go play for your playoff lives. And Oh, by the way, this guy's still fighting for his, but also it's not clear whether we're going to get an update all that soon, like medical yes. situations don't work on an NFL schedule like this. So we don't especially, we have no idea.
1: With something like this, like bones, right? Like you can take an x-ray and know in X number of hours, minutes, MRI, the same thing. This is a situation where they've got somebody in the intensive care unit at a level one trauma hospital because there's a crash team there to be able to handle cardiac arrest and things like that. and like. If, if this is, if, I, if I'm reading it correctly, where like obviously sedated, that means you're intubated. He's intubated with a tube down his throat. You don't just say, okay, we're going to just like test it out here and see if he can breathe on his own or whatever. Like this, this isn't like, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no timetable for when you're going to find out, is he okay? Is he not okay? And that's the thing for me where how can you ask every like and we know as of right now um, and this this will stick like you know the buffalo bills and the cincinnati bengals there's no timetable to make up that game frankly i don't think that game will get made up i think that the bills are completely focused only on demar hamlin as they should be and you know that's that's the nfl said at that point when that memo came out that no change to the week 18 schedule how can you ask 20 30 other teams to go play. Like, and I mean, that's, not, we're talking about week 18 games, both Buffalo and Cincinnati have week 18 games too. And how can you ask any of the other teams that weren't involved last night and didn't witness the on-field trauma? They're still messed up on this. How, how can you ask them to go out and play this week? Because you know, the thing about football, if you play apprehensive, you are going to get your ass hurt and you are exp- exposing yourself to the risk of injury that, could be catastrophic. I mean, the, the reason coaches preach fundamental alignment, assignment, key technique, all of that stuff. I know that it's hilarious when we talk about it in coach speak, but that stuff matters. A form tackle matters. Cause if you don't and instincts take over, you could be a second away from getting yourself paralyzed. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. Like, if guys are shook right now, you and I are shook. People who watch the sport are shook imagine playing in a game thinking could that happen to me like could like guys have guys know every time they step on the field this is a violent sport it's a sport that's not absent injury but to see what we saw last night and it being such a freak thing and something that no one has seen ever really like in our era I know there was you know Chuck Hughes the former Detroit Lions player back in 1971 who died and it was apparently there was a clogged artery and this was a blood clot that something happened in the middle of that game and they ambulanced him off and he died, whether it was, I think it's not really clear whether it was he died on the field or whether it was in the ambulance. Nonetheless, this is 2022. None of us have ever witnessed this before. So how does it, how does it play out where you have guys who are in coaches who are ready to go play this weekend in the season finale? And for a lot of teams, not the one I cover, but a lot of teams. There's playoff implications on the line, which means the ante is upped, and you got to be on your game.
0: And I don't know how you can ask these players to focus because it's just it's it's having such a profound effect on everyone who plays the game. Like this is not something that is just impacting one team. Uh, we've seen many in our time covering the Vikings together things that impacted one team off the field things several times with everson griffin where there was real fear about everson griffin's safety last year and the team was asked to show up to the facility but when it's just one team that's way different than the entire league everyone who plays being shook on this and i mean you're talking about the focus too like the focus is required to play this game, even safely, as you mentioned, for, for all players. I mean, it's, it's just a very hard thing to ask. And I think that if the NFL as hard as this might be made the decision that nobody is really in a mind state to play this week and we've got to move it back, it would not be completely unprecedented. Um, and, you know, if there's not an update, if there's not a, he's doing better, he's on the way to recovery, I, I don't I don't think it would be inappropriate. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just play things as normal and say you're going to have to do it and everybody wear a patch or something because it's kind of the NFL way. But I also think that what COVID proved to us is that if you want to move things around badly enough, you absolutely can. These things can be shuffled. They can be delayed. We can figure out how to do this when everybody is is emotionally ready to play and maybe when we know more about how DeMar Hamlin is doing, but uh, yeah, I mean, just as a, as a situation in general, when it happened, I actually spotted it live and I texted my wife and said, I think something really bad just happened. Like I, you, I, you I
1: see him. Cause I went back and I was watching the game and like, I guess I had seen, I had seen the, um, I saw the touchdown, I saw the field goal. And then like, I remember watching it. I was like moving around a little bit And just kept hearing the whistles. Like, I didn't see it live, but so I I rewound my TV and I didn't, I saw the tackle. I didn't see him fall back. And I don't know, did they, did they show a replay of that?
0: Yes, they did. When he first went down, they showed the replay of it. I saw it before the replay came out and I, and the way that he fell was really disturbing to me because
1: it's almost like he just like, like flop is the wrong word, but that's what it looked like. He just kind of like, completely he stood up and then just like without without bending his body just went completely back on onto his back
0: right if you've ever seen someone and this happened to our friend sam in a game once last year if you've ever seen someone pass out Mm -hmm. like that's kind of what it looked like and after the hit um it was just very concerning and then as the medical people were on the field you saw like the walkie talkies and you saw people running and it's like, what is going on here? Well,
1: to me, the ambulance, like as fast as that ambulance went onto the field and seeing, cause we didn't see the CPR and I'm glad we didn't because that would have been, again, it's traumatic to witness that. And frankly, as it goes back to the Buffalo bills and the Cincinnati Bengals and the thought of them having to complete this game, because as of right now, we know it's postponed. There's no date in mind to make it up. How can you ask those players to go back to the scene of where this whole thing happened and play? like this is trauma this is this is what trauma is it's living something that's a literal nightmare and you don't just shelve that you don't just talk you don't just you know enact your emergency preparedness plan or whatever it's called and bring in a bunch of counselors and everything's fine you know what I mean hmm This is stuff that takes a while to to get through, to unpack. And some guys might not even be ready to process that yet. How can you possibly ask them, you guys need to go out and play this game, just compartmentalize? I know compartmentalizing is such a huge part of sport. But when something like this happened to your own teammate and you were there and you witnessed it, A, how can you go back to the scene of where it happened and not feel some type of way about it in a really weird way? and also like how are you supposed to be clear minded about this it's just i think they're asking the impossible of those players and even the players that aren't that weren't there yesterday which is you know we turn our attention to week 18 and i know there's a lot on the line for a lot of teams but to me it should be secondary and we just we just know the NFL as you brought up with covid happened after JFK was assassinated they played games that weekend They got crucified for it, as they should have. After 9-11, if it wasn't for the players being the ones saying, nah, we're good, we we don't want to play out of respect for the 2,000-plus people who died, that NFL would have played that weekend. I just think that there's been – it's such a reactionary league when they could be proactive. The proactive thing to do would be – until we have word about DeMar Hamlin, we are suspending all operations right now. And I know there's some people, I've said this on radio, people call me soft and everything else because, you know, it's a, it's a contact sport. And, oh, you want to cancel the season? Want to never play football again, Courtney? No. In the short term, though, let's think with our minds and not with, a, not with like completely irrational thought of like, oh, next man up mentality. Thinking, thinking rationally right now means you got to do something when you're, when you're in a state of shock, do the right thing take a step back, take a beat for a little bit and let this thing get sorted out and then worry about playing football. Because you know how the, you know how football people are. When you're locked into a game plan, it's all you're thinking about. How can you possibly be locked into a game plan and have that be your end all be all right now when, when this just happened.
0: Folks, if your new year's resolution was to treat yourself a little bit better, I've got a suggestion. Death that is liquid death actually because it's a delicious mountain water that comes in a tall boy can and I am telling you it just tastes different. It's ice cold and much better than water that tastes like a plastic bottle. In fact, Liquid Death hated plastic bottles so much that was what inspired their name. They also give a portion of profits to end plastic because cans are so much easier to recycle. So if you want to give it a try, nudge along that New Year's resolution, maybe put the soda aside and give Liquid Death a try. Go to Hy-Vee, Target, Whole Foods, wherever you get your groceries or Go to liquiddeath.com slash insider. That is liquiddeath.com slash insider and find out where you can get liquid death today. Yeah, and I think that uh, compassion is not a strength of the NFL in general. And I understand that. And I understand that the sport is violent and everybody knows that. But there's a line and there are exceptions to all those things that every other injury Alex Smith's injury was absolutely horrific. There's a hundred injuries you could name, but nothing like this. It's never happened like this before. And also I think it's just out of respect for him and his family. It would not be the wrong thing if they decided to just move everything back. And I'm sure that's a logistical nightmare, but you know what? We can figure it all out. We can all do it together. I think that's probably the right thing to do. It's something that I doubt that they will do. Uh, On such short notice, I think they're just going to play games and they're just going to everyone's going to put three fingers up and say, you know, hey, number three, Damar Hamlin, we're thinking about you and then move on as so often it happens. But, you know, this it does remind me, though, that um, some of the things that happened, the NFL appearing to prepare to play within five minutes. I don't think uh, Joe Buck made that up. And also ESPN Deportes and Westwood One also said it. So someone told and, – and now everyone's trying to cover for that person. Someone told them, we're going to start. And I actually – I want to be understanding for the referees who probably have a protocol of how to deal with this sort of thing. And they were probably going by what they're told in terms of handling a game. Because, again, when no one's ever gone through this, mistakes are going to get made. Tweets are going to get sent to people uh, – you know, really regret, or there's going to be things on broadcast. People say that they didn't mean at the time or things change quickly. And that might just be one of them that the NFL thought like, okay, well, it looks like it's pretty bad, but we'll just take them off the field. Like everybody else, give the teams a couple minutes and get going. And then like cooler heads prevailed. So I don't want to be that critical of it, but now they do have more time to think about this. And I just, I just feel like it's not a bad thing if they decide to give everybody uh, some time and space here.
1: I'm just like, I'm not even saying like, don't not at all suggesting cancel the season or anything like that. All I'm saying is, why don't we take a breather for week 18? You can move the schedule back. And to your point about what happened last night and the five minute warm up, like the, you know, basically, hey, everybody's got five more five minutes. And I know Leslie Frazier stepped in. You saw him on TV, the Buffalo Bills, D.C., and you saw Sean McDermott, Zach Taylor, like there, I just remember like seeing kind of the, a lot of faces that I recognized, um, you know, and hearing kind of what they were trying to get people to do in those moments. And the, the smartest thing, the empathy was the coaches and the players being like, like kind of like rallying around each other in those moments, not, Hey, we need to go warm up. Like, cause I think it was Joe Burrow. They I, Somebody saw it, like it, that was reported that he was, you know, throwing the football around trying to get loose again, 5 minutes just seemed so inhumane. The whole thing seemed inhumane and I understand Troy Vincent and what he said um really didn't sit well with a lot of people because Joe Buck didn't lie about that. He didn't pull that out of his you know what. You know what I mean? That's what bothers me because the NFL just go ahead and admit lines were lines of communication were not the clearest because it's an unprecedented situation. Just just try to be a human being about it instead of where well, that was never said that's preposterous blah blah blah. Like ESPN didn't lie about that. That's just what bothers me the most because it's they were do. I I think that the broadcast crew on the scene and the people in New York doing countdown were doing the absolute best that they could during an impossible situation. And I'm so tired of the Twitter police out there and everybody on social media criticizing people who were doing jobs that are immensely difficult in those circumstances. And, I know ESPN put a statement out today saying this is what we were told numerous times that like there was a five minute cool down period. Fact is, and I was vocal about this yesterday, I'll stand by it. Like the second that game was postponed, it should have been canceled. How the hell can you expect guys to go into the locker room, take their, you know, take their uh, pads off, sit for a minute, think, and be like, all right, we're good to go back out there and play? You open yourself to the risk of re injury. This is not a freaking lightning delay. Okay, I know we saw this. What was that game in Kansas City? We saw it, wasn't it Bengals Chiefs last year? Like one of those games that was like an hour-long rain delay in Kansas City, like. And you're like, no, it was. it was Bills Chiefs last year, if I if I am correct about that, because I just remember like you'd see the guys warming up in the hallway, and Diggs was doing like wind sprints, and that's different. There is there there is. Uh, I just I, I get exhausted talking about this because like talking about how common sense it seems just to be like hey, something really, really bad happened. Maybe we just, like, don't focus on the football right now. Like, the football's always going to be here. Like, we need to worry about where we are mentally with this stuff. And it's not being soft. It's not being reactionary. It's doing the right thing in that moment. I mean, the Bears today, on Tuesday, they announced that Wednesday's practice is going to be a walkthrough. Now, could that be for a multitude of reasons? Sure. But there's only two practices that are happening this week, and that one would not surprise me that after the circumstances of what happened, and of course, like players, at least at our facilities, are not there today because it's a Tuesday. um, I wouldn't be surprised if that had something to do with the fact like, hey, coaches, coaches have to deliver a message to their players and still guide them in the right direction and make sure that, you know, everybody's on the same page and everybody feels okay. Because you, again, you can't play, you cannot play football when you are in an apprehensive mindset and they got to make sure they avoid that.
0: And I think what we've learned because of social media, because it was a national TV game, all these things that events like this, even if you weren't there, even if it didn't impact, impact you directly, uh, I think that they hit much harder for everyone um. then maybe they would have used to if you were reading about it in the newspaper because you just get hit with this wall of constant reminders of what happened. So I think it's going to be a very, very tough week for everybody. I would not expect them to cancel these games, but if they did, I would not criticize it. So anyway, well, you know, we could carry on talking about this for a while. And I don't know that there's any like good transition to talk to you about the Chicago bears, but we will try Uh, to push forth because I do believe this game is going to happen. And I don't know, Courtney, whether this game is going to include Justin Fields. But here's here's what I want to say about that. When we talked early in the season, my feeling on Justin Fields was like, this is really bad. This looks really bad for them. It looks like it might be a Zach Wilson situation, what that's turned out to be, or a Josh Rosen, how that ended up going. And then against the Vikings, he kind of found it. He made some big throws. He had some huge runs in that game. And then after that, he became one of the most prolific running quarterbacks in a single season ever. But at the same time, the passing from Justin Fields, the number of sacks that the guy takes, the processing, all those things at the times that I've watched him this year has been very spotty. He can make great throws, but then also get sacked. It actually kind of reminds me of Vince Young a little bit where there's just the passing is still questionable, even when there are amazing throws sometimes. So did they feel like, regardless of whether he plays or not, I really don't care. I'm coming to (laughs) Chicago to hang out with you and for that great press box food that they have there at Soldier Field. The F-minus situation there with food. But uh, one of the great food cities, and they can't just like have some pizza sent over, but uh, not the point. So whether he plays or not doesn't matter. Um, but do they feel like they have their franchise quarterback and there's a next step to go, kind of like Jalen Hurts did from last year to this year, or is it still up in the air?
1: No, I think they do. And really, you know, that game between the Vikings and the Bears happened in week five. So it was really two weeks after that, after they had a mini buy, they lost twelve to seven to Washington. Um, it was terrible. Like, you know, there were and there were moments like just like that game against the Vikings came down to a botched two minute drive and that wasn't Justin Fields fault, right? Like that was on Amir Smith-Marset, the former Vikings wide receiver turned bears wide receiver who was trying to do too much in the, that moment and ended up getting, you know, fumbling the game away when the bears were trying to lead a two minute drive next week, bears are zero for three in the red zone. And you know, had it not been for a bobbled pass at the goal line by Darnell Mooney, and I'm sure Justin would say he pro- he probably did say it, like you know, putting the ball in a different place. And there were multiple opportunities to win that game. And at that time, I remember going to the New England game in Week Seven, thinking, "Man, are they where? Where are they with this thing?" Because there it was so up and down. And yeah, they beat San Francisco in Week One, but that game was in a deluge, and it was just terrible circumstances to try to evaluate somebody. But then something started to click because oh, lo and behold, you 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 can utilize this quarterback's best assets in in best asset with his legs and design runs for him. That helped especially in the red zone. And you can and then it became, hey, he can rip off a 40, 50, 60-yard run from time to time because he's so fast, he's massive and nobody wants to tackle him. So As the running part of his game progressed, like the passing stuff never really, like outside of one game, which I would say was the Green Bay game before the bye in week, you know, his week 13 game. That was his most complete game to date. And he's still, you know, they're averaging 120 passing yards a game. That's way at the bottom of the league. You're not going to win games that way. But there have been glimpses where you're like, That guy, if you give him adequate pass protection, if you give him some receivers, if you have a competent defense on the other end to be able to help them out in moments, you can do a lot with Justin Fields and you can put him in position to succeed. Now, it's, I just, I feel like there's such, there's so many parts of his game that get a giant eye for incomplete this year. Like, did he get better as a passer? I don't know if we can say that definitively because we just haven't seen the greatest sample size of it. But, they did come away at least like from the you know first 17 games first first 16 games of the year. I don't know if he'll play in week 18 because Matt Eberflus seemed to hedge on that a little bit. Um but can they did they come away with the answer that he's the guy you build around? Yeah. Like all the, any anybody who's bringing up the idea that they might trade him because they're talking about potentially sitting him in weeks 8 week 18 that's just that's just hogwash at this point because this was the hardest thing for this franchise to do. They have gotten this wrong time and time and time again. And the fact that they finally have an answer and there's excitement around the quarterback. Now you have to start building around him. So at least like in a year, they weren't set up to win or to really do much of anything. Like if you thought that they were going to be more than a three, four win team, then you were just on the wrong path all along. I think that they're in a spot right now where optimism is high But you gotta nail those free agent acquisitions. You gotta nail the draft next year because the quarterback's true development hinges on that.
0: Yeah, and when I look at his numbers, it's interesting because his PFF passing grade is actually a little lower than it was last year. But he hasn't made quite as many um, mistakes or made as many big time throws. So he's been playing like more conservatively. Um, His actually his turnover worthy play rate is a, is a little bit um, actually higher this year than it was last year. So he kind of hasn't eliminated but some the- of
1: that has to do with the receivers too. Right. Like it's, again, it's not all on fields, um, but it's also not all on like people like oh, always no talent around him. Well, sometimes those are not the best place balls, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. But he hasn't really eliminated the bad plays is kind mm-hmm. of the thing. Like he's, sure. he's been creating great plays with his legs and, you know, the other things like are better, his yards per attempt, his completion percentage, his touchdown interception ratio, like all the traditional statistics. But I don't know that I see like a different guy entirely, except for in the running element of it. And so then you have to start asking the question, like how much will a different supporting cast matter? And I tend to think in today's NFL, the answer is a lot. Um, You look around at, I mean, Jared Goff, for example, last year, they could not Buy a win with him as their quarterback, and we know Jared Goff's a good player, not an unbelievable player, but a good one. And now they're the fourth best offense in the league because they put an offensive line ahead of him, they put weapons around him. You know they've got a, you know a couple good receivers and a good offensive coordinator, and all of a sudden there you go. And with uh, Fields, I think they have to give it another shot. Like he's done enough. To give it probably at least two more years with him to find out. And really, next year, there's got to be some urgency in a similar way with Trevor Lawrence, where it's like there's urgency to bring in receivers, linemen, play, just players to put around him. When they signed Christian Kirk, it's like, oh, they overpaid, but they can and they have to. Like they have to. If they don't overpay for a receiver, he's not going to come there to Jacksonville because they were so bad. And the other thing is you need that. You need to find out what you have there. And I think that they made a lot of progress in this area toward finding out that that he can be dynamic and explosive and he's not Zach Wilson. He's not an instant bust. But I also think that the door is still kind of wobbly to whether he blasted it wide open franchise quarterback land or whether it could still slam shut in his face because you start worrying about the injuries for somebody who gets sacked that much. And one of the things that makes Josh Allen a special running quarterback is the guy never gets sacked. And Justin Fields leads the league in sacks. He doesn't throw the ball away. He doesn't seem to have like a great sense for that. And that's what's going to get him injured. I think that when we talk about those running quarterbacks, people are always worried about them getting injured. In my mind, that's the difference between ones who do and don't is knowing when to throw the ball away, how to avoid those sacks because Uh, That's a lot of negative plays that Fields is still putting out there. And I don't know that you could just tweak the sliders and add a receiver and all of a sudden that changes for him. So I think there's still reason to be like on the fence a little bit.
1: No, and what with his offensive line and pass protection, like it's not all – not all the offensive line's fault. It's not all Fields' fault for holding on to the ball too long. There was a period of time, though, really weeks 7 through 10, when they were scoring about 30 points a game, where it felt like there were a lot more moving pockets. There were a lot more bootlegs for Fields. There was a lot more of getting him on the run and making throws and plays that way. We just don't see those anymore, and of course, injuries and attrition have not helped. Like losing Darnell Mooney, the fact they're going to have a receiver, they're not going to have a 500-yard receiver this year. Not crazy, like not one. Mooney right now, if, if memory serves, he's at 493, and that's and he's been gone since the Jets game. Like it's just it's not a great situation to to really give him a complete grade. There have been moments where you say, yeah, he can make explosive plays, but. We know, and even asking him, the scrambling's been out of necessity this year. It's not like he set out to break Lamar Jackson's rushing record, um, or to you know rush for whatever it was against Miami, following up in the week against Detroit where he ran for 147. He didn't set out to do that. This has been, hey, it's third and five, and my receivers are covered, and maybe that's because he's still uh, you know not comfortable throwing guys open yet, or or what have you. A lot of it plays into why those rushing hit numbers are as high as they are because he's not somebody that's just going to throw the ball away. And that's something that Matt Eberflus talked about, like, because I asked him yesterday, you know, this team scored on 12 opening drives this year. It honestly reminded me a lot of the Vikings last year. Remember how good they were on the, on this when they were on the script. And then it's like, oh, you get like off the script and you're playing from behind and you have to like get back on track. That's where they really struggled. I see a lot of that because there's a rookie offensive play caller in, in Luke Getzey, a young quarterback in an offense that, you know, a lot of these players aren't going to be here next year. It's a stopgap offense in terms of personnel. You know, a lot of that leads to, man, I took a sack. It's seven, second and 17. And Oh wait, like, you know, Oh, now it's third and whatever. Like they keep playing from behind that way. And I think a lot of that has to do with take the check down. Like you don't have to just run out, try to run out of bounds here and make something out of nothing. There've got to be certain moments where you just throw the ball away to keep yourself in a more favorable down and distance. And he's learning that. He's got to get better at that though. And I think that that when you when you see the situation that's in Chicago right now, where people are like, "Well, why do they keep playing him in games? Like, he's, isn't he going to get hurt?" Like, I thought it was a little little much to keep him in the game against Detroit when they're down 28 points. Matt Eberflus' thing is nothing is more important than game reps. And I'm like, well, what are you really repping in that situation? You're not going to come back from that. But for him, it's, he's got to get rid of the ball faster. Let's try to operate a two minute drive. Like all of those little things that you hope add up, but you just don't really have any sort of tangible proof to see if that stuff will carry over because he's not surrounded by the best partners effectively to make that happen.
0: And earlier this year with uh, Geno Smith, I was kind of looking for any truth with Geno Smith. Like, was there any evidence that he would have a great year someday? And what I found is, you know, the Jets bailed after uh, two years with Geno Smith. You really need at least three, sometimes even four. But usually that year three gives a team enough time to draft, to sign free agents And then you start to know what that player is really capable of if there's enough around him. And I don't know in one off season, if they can solve all the problems, but they can at least put some things around him that are better. Although you have to be looking at the chase Claypool trade now and being like, huh? Uh, Right. I mean, because now I thought at the time that they made it, I was like, okay, well you need players. I mean, that's just the thing. You just need dudes who can play in the NFL because looking at that roster of receivers, you just don't have very many, but is it possible Chase Claypool is just bad or like what's the deal?
1: It is. I don't fault Ryan Poles for making that happen though, because he couldn't have panned out that Darnell Mooney would have gone down and that, you would, you know, Fields was down at one point, four of his top six receivers, and they were calling us up from the practice squad, and it's tough. The reason they pulled the Claypool trade off when they did is because look at that free agent class in 2023. It's like Alan Lazard, Juju Smith-Schuster, um I think is who's a guy not Chark. uh, Who's there's a guy there's one of the one of the Jacksonville receivers is 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 available. There's just not a lot of big names because everyone signed extensions this past off season. No one's available unless you're going to trade for somebody. And at that time, that second round pick was a top forty pick. Now it's probably top thirty three and or you know thirty four potentially. And so it looks it looks worse for Chicago right now that they gave up everything for a receiver who hasn't been able to generate any production. And, you know, I'll give, I'll give, I've talked with a couple people about like, well, why is it so hard? Because people, the, the argument was Baker Mayfield was in Los Angeles for five seconds and led them to a win over the Raiders. Like why can Chase Claypool be here for a month and not like do anything? This offense is very difficult for receivers to learn. Like his route tree when he was coming from Pittsburgh to here, and it's no slight on Matt Canada and the offense there, but apparently, it, from everybody you talk to, it's a lot more difficult here. It's not just, it's like the stem of the route. It's, you know, the, the route concepts, the depth, everything. Like, that stuff takes an entire offseason to learn. Hell, Phelis Jones, the rookie, 25-year-old rookie they have here. Like he just got it like two weeks ago. Like, I mean, that's the thing like this. He'd been here the entire off season. And he couldn't get it. And he also dealt with injury just like Claypool's dealt with injury. And it's tough to evaluate guys when all of those factors exist. But I will say right now, the jury is very much still out on Chase Claypool. This is not panned out to where, Hey, you gave Justin Fields a weapon for right now, but I never, I, you know, I never thought this was a right now move. I always thought this was something for further down the line to see if they can evaluate this, you know, you know, in, in a year or two, like it, or certainly in a year, like if you give him a full off season and he's like this, go ahead and say it was a terrible trade and that you wish you had your second round pick back. But right now I'm just like, I don't know, because we never expect Chase Claypool is a young player. Did you expect him to like come in here and like set, like, you know, be like an impact player right away? I, I didn't see it that way when it happened because he fell off he fell down a depth chart in in with the Steelers. You think that like if this guy was really that big of an impact player, they would have traded him?
0: Right. I mean, and I don't know if you want to trade for players from the Steelers because they're usually pretty good at evaluating uh with their head coach and their organization that somehow can be eight and eight when they might not have a better roster or it's fairly close to someone like Chicago. Um I mean, they're a bad they're a bad team and here they sit at 500 with a rookie quarterback who hasn't even been good i don't i don't even know how it's happened but the point being that like character would probably play into it if they were moving on from someone who put up numbers there and that would be the big red flag for me that i think that mike tomlin holds that in very high regard of bringing in high character players and what's happened here with tj hawkinson Uh, he's been great and and that's coming in in the same exact situation both are traded for at the deadline I know he's got Justin Jefferson but it's a more uh, complicated position at tight end because you have to block and play outside receiver slot receiver all these spots and he's done it seamlessly so is Claypool like not trying or what or he's just like not smart enough to get you know, the, the offense. I mean, it was um... there's, there's
1: been that question. It's like, how do you find out like, Hey, is he just like not getting it? Like, because I've asked that question to Tyke Tobert, I've asked that question to receivers in the room of like, how freaking difficult is it to learn this thing? Like, is this just the most complicated offense of all time? And yeah, like look, Getty does come from green Bay and we, you know, very clearly it's hard for receivers, young ones to latch on there. Look at how long it took Christian Watson to be good. And even with Romeo Dobbs this year, it took those guys months of the season actually happening to be good. And it's probably also shows you why the off season's important too, to be able to learn these sorts of things. But this is certainly not what they expected when they traded for him, like maybe a game or two. Like, of course, I think it was, he's traded a deadline. So that Detroit game where he didn't draw the DPI, like it was like, it was either Detroit or Miami, whichever one, my brain forgets, but um, It was like the, on the it was, they had a chance to lead a game winning drive and he doesn't sell and sell his you know DPI well enough and lo and behold the game's over because they target Equinemius St Brown who drops the ball on fourth down. Um, it's it's just tough because this is not what they thought they were getting and it's kind of what you have. But is it not salvageable? I don't I don't think we can go there yet. I think that they can at least try this off season to figure out. And Fields said he's like. He has plans to get within this offseason and work on it a little bit because they need to.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is really the price tag. I mean, had it been a fourth round pick, you're like, Oh, who cares? But when you're giving up a second, that guy better be good. Um, let's just do a, let's do a pie chart here before we okay. wrap up. Um, let's do this. So after the Vikings won against the bills, you were on the old TV, which by the way, love to see it. How many times in the, uh, media room the other day now this is funny you want to hear a mom's story my mom will appreciate this so I took a picture of the tv with you on it in the media room uh because that's what we had you know we've got a kind of a line okay. of televisions and I was like oh look who's back in the media room today because you were on tv and my mom texted oh is Courtney visiting like Minnesota and I was like no mom that's television um so <laughs> no that's not she's not in the room actually but uh so she I was, was there in
1: spirit I was talking right, about- in spirit I was but talking I, Dak, versus, Dak versus Cousins and I'm, you know, a big sect of Vikings Twitter love to hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think after the way this week worked out and uh, how those quarterbacks played, maybe there's different opinions, but uh, after the Buffalo game, you went on the, uh, the squawk box and you said that the Vikings were legitimate Super Bowl contenders after that game. And I said the same thing on, on the show as well, since that game, there's been ups and downs and there's been some real downs. I want you to give me a pie chart of results for the Vikings in the playoffs. Your first option is out in the first round. Your second option is out in the second round. Your third option is if you're following this out in the third round and your fourth option is that they reach the Super Bowl.
1: All right. Um, Chances
0: of those outcomes.
1: Okay. So can I get some music?
0: Do to do do to do to do to do do pie chart. We haven't done this in a while. It's a pie chart. It's a pie chart. I don't know how much long I'm supposed to keep singing. Pie chart.
1: Five seconds. Sixty. Pie chart. Twenty ten. Pie chart. That's ninety. Okay. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Is it added up correctly? I'm doing the math. Like you know how difficult this is for me. Um 60. All right, this is twenty-five. I just get, you gotta give me a second so I can use my calculator. Oh can my you, gosh. Can you keep singing? Like
0: no, I'm not uh, no, we're done. Like that's the Jeopardy no, music. I,
1: okay, fine, 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 we're done.
0: We're done. You have to give your answers, and if the math is wrong, right, then too ready, bad.
1: I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay. All right. So out in the first round, given what I saw against Dallas, given what I saw against the Green Bay Packers and You know, I know what everybody wants to say about this team in one score games. I do think there is a certain level of talent that it takes to come back from deficits and to be able to play in close games and tip that meter in the winning direction. But eventually, like, how can you put that weight on your offense for so long? You know what I mean? And what we saw very clearly against Green Bay is that it all fell apart. So I give them a 60% chance to be out in the first round. Whoa, sixty percent chance. So different than how I felt. And yes, I know if it starts right now, they host a game and they've got the New York Giants at home. I understand that. But they are also right now like the three seed. Like, do they can they play for the second seed? Sure, and they'd have Seattle potentially, but I don't think San Francisco's losing. Uh, to the to the um, Cardinals this weekend so yeah I do think they they're they they do not I don't have many confidence much confidence in them right now I don't
0: well not only that but they placed Brian O'Neill on IR along that, with I, awesome did, I didn't
1: see that that happened today
0: that happened today God, so if there was that, any hope that he was coming back that is dashed and his oh, season is no. likely over. so That's, now it's only Udo and maybe at best Blake Brandle could return but yeah only Udo not a great situation
1: well, what's the Bradbury situation
0: We don't really know because he had a car accident after already having a back injury, which exacerbated that. And uh, Kevin O'Connell did not sound optimistic. So it sounds like the offensive line is going to have Chris Reed at center. And of course the league leader and pressures allowed at right guard. And then Oli Udo at right tackle. And in the two games where Udo had to play tackle last year on the left side,
1: I remember uh, those games.
0: Yeah. The results were to quote Nas, not positive.
1: Yeah, 60% chance they're out in the first round. I'm not feeling confident about this group right now. After Buffalo, thing is, when is the, can you give me an example of when the Vikings have won a game where they absolutely had to and it mattered? They needed to follow up that emotional Buffalo game by beating Dallas at home. They laid an egg. They needed to follow up this emotional game against the Giants, which followed up the emotional game against the Colts by going on the road against a team that – you know, had four wins at one point, and now all of a sudden is on the back and trying to back its way into the playoffs, and they laid an egg. Like, I think it's just a lot more of the same. And sorry, Vegas doesn't really get much wrong. They're only favored by one point on the road at, at, against this awful team that I cover. Oh it is sense. um it is
0: number 31 versus number 32 in points allowed this season. Yes, so it a, could be a Again,
1: no Kirk Slander because everybody wants to point at me saying like I'm negative about him. I think I've spoken the truth about Kirk. I am worried about this defense more than anything else in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I agree. And well, I mean the offensive line and the lack of anybody else stepping up. Um, on a weekly basis where it's maybe it's Hawkinson one week, but maybe it's not the next week. Uh, okay. So out in the second round, you've only got 40% left to work with. Oh, I can already see the tweets now. Uh, what, uh, what do you think for second round?
1: I have them at 25% out in the second round once they get to the divisional playoffs. Cause I mean, it basically goes down from here percentages wise cause I you know, can they make how it? numbers work? Yes. It's how numbers work. Um, and I make sure I did my math correctly on this. I, they're talent. They're talented enough to make it out of the first round. Can they beat the giants twice if they face them and they've got them at home? Probably. But if so, I'm just, this all depends on what seating's going to be this weekend and the health of the team. But I do, I mean, they're, they're obviously talented enough to make a run. It's just, I'm not confident that it's a deep one, but 25%, I've got them out in the second round.
0: Okay. So no you've used yeah. uh that Indian. is 85%. So 15% left to either go out in the NFC championship or in uh to reach the Super Bowl and then, you know, who knows what happens.
1: 10% going to the being out in the NFC championship, which leaves 5% Super Bowl, which I is probably more than some people I think would put down. I think I think that's fair given where I ha, where I really feel this team is right now is a first round exit. I think the rest of the percentages are probably what most people would put them at.
0: I'm going to check this right now because I can hear people getting irritated with you. I can just hear it. Although some might just, most of our listeners might just feel like, yeah, maybe it's realistic with these offensive line injuries. But I was looking at the Super Bowl odds from DraftKings and where the Vikings rank, and it's loading right now. So give me a second. So right now, the Vikings have the same Super Bowl odds as the Packers to win the Super Bowl and let me see two four six eight and then they are tied with three other teams so essentially the only teams that they have higher odds than the Packers aren't even in the playoffs yet by exactly. the way exactly uh are the Jaguars and Giants Dolphins Lions Patriots Seahawks like those and are half the those teams, teams
1: aren't even in right now like I mean right solidified in, you know what I mean? Like the Vikings are in like, but the Packers are not in yet. The lions are still trying to fight for their playoff lives. Yeah. Not great.
0: So I think the, uh, the NFL can be crazy for sure. Um, But uh, you know, I also think that there's plenty of reason to think that it could be a tough road. I'd probably have 50% in the first round because I think it's more of a toss up, but um, anyway, so Courtney, uh, we've stayed for a long time. I really appreciate All of your time, can't wait to see you and uh, we will talk soon.
1: I'm excited.